I have been uh, in, a, in the middle of a series talking about uh, the cost. And it's been a very interesting series to, to walk through because we've been talking about this invitation that Jesus had for each and every soul. Everybody in, uh, in earshot was invited. He told story after story about how people who were invited didn't show. And then anyone, he was like, listen, go out and invite everybody, everybody, no matter where you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what your ethnicity is, your socioeconomic background, your belief background is every single soul was invited to take a step towards Jesus. And it, and it was a free and open invitation for all. But then he turned around to those crowds. And time and time again, he had challenging questions that just said, do you even know what you showed up for? Have you been paying attention to where this is going? Are you just in the crowd because you're a fan of what I'm doing? Or are you truly moving towards me to become a follower and he talked time and time about the cost. He talked about picking up your cross and following him. And the illustration of picking up your cross is crazy to think about. Because picking up your cross would be literally like putting an electric chair on your back and walking towards your death. He said, I want you to understand that, that I am homeless. Do you realize you're following a guy that's homeless? I'm going to sleep on the ground in the rocks tonight. So you're coming after me, and that's awesome and exciting, but do you understand that I'm headed towards Jerusalem and that I'm headed for the cross? Are you, do you understand where this thing is going? And time and time again, he turned to the crowds and he said, he said, you're all invited. I love each and every one of you. My father's house, there's many spaces. All of you can come, but do you know where this thing is going? And we've been having a conversation about how it's not the best sales pitch in the world. So oftentimes we don't share the truth with people when we're talking about Jesus. Oftentimes we start the conversation, but we don't share the truth. We just say, it's going to be awesome. And then our lives don't match the sales pitch that we received. And then there's tension. And someone says, hey, you told me that if I followed Jesus, it was going to be awesome. And things aren't awesome right now. And so we've been having this conversation about what it means to have an authentic relationship with Jesus and how do we even walk it out? And so today we're going to land the plane and, and have this conversation about what was Jesus even promising? What was the reward? Do we even want to follow at all? Why do it? And so today I want to talk a little bit about the reward and I want to have this conversation because I want to be honest with you. We all evaluate whether or not something's worth it based on what's coming to us. At the end of it, we do this naturally all the time. I can remember growing up and my, my dad and my stepdad, but my dad, uh, I can remember him always wanting to take more overtime. He always wanted to take more overtime. He always wanted to, to work a little bit more. And, uh, and I can remember him, him having a conversation. Yeah, I won't be at Christmas, but it's double time and a half. And we measure things based on what's most important to us, whether or not we think that it's worth it. I remember the first time uh, I really, I got, I got scammed. And it wasn't like a scam scam, but I got, I got hoodwinked a little bit. I was working in Everett as a youth pastor. And uh, by working, it means I was working, but they weren't paying me much. By much, I mean any spendable dollars. 
And so I'm working 40 hours a week building this youth ministry and this church restart. There's like 20 people in the church and we've got 50 at youth group. It's crazy. And we're just reaching kids. It's amazing. And, and, uh, and I'm putting all this time in, but we've got nothing. We've got no resources, no money. We've got, you know, this, uh, this little building and, you know, I'm leading worship. That's how bad it is. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, I got three chords, one strum pattern and like two songs that we can do. And we're just going for it, right? And God's showing up and it's awesome. And, uh, and Christine's working full time carrying us. I'm working at Hollywood Video on, on top of my, my, my youth ministry stuff, trying to make it work. And I get this phone call and it says, congratulations, you've won. And I'm, I'm perking up. I'm like 22 years old. I haven't had many of these phone calls before. It's like, you've won either $2,500, a brand new computer, or a camera, a digital camera. Press whatever to hear the news. I'm like, oh, press whatever. That's awesome. And it says, all you have to do is come to this thing and listen to this pitch. Come on, somebody. You know where this is going. And you've won this prize. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to the thing. So I show up at the thing, and the person who's supposed to do the thing doesn't show up. Right? So I'm waiting there forever. Never shows up. I go, I, I go back home, and I get another call. We're sorry about the thing not happening. Come and show up. So I show up again. I listen to this, I don't know how many hour-long presentation about a timeshare that some other human couldn't afford. I'm like, you do understand that I work for free, right? <laughs> and at the very end, they're like, we're going to tell you what you've won. I'm like, 2,500, 2,500, 2,500, because I'm naive. I'm like, but I'll take the computer. Anything but the camera. Who cares about a camera? They're like, you've won a camera. I'm like, oh, fine. They're like, but same value. I'm like, oh, it's a $2,500 camera. That's awesome. I open it up, and it's this plastic camera with no view screen and <laughs> takes like a single-A battery. It's like a thing you'd buy at a dollar store for a kid. It's the worst toy camera thing of the whole world. And I realized something. If I knew the reward, I would never have sat through, come on now, the presentation. Because I would have measured the reward against the presentation and I would have said, no, thank you. So I want to have a conversation today about the reward, whether it's not, it's been worth you sitting through the presentation, you walking through this journey. And we measure these things all the time. I told you about my dad. We measure things whether or not it's worth it all the time. We have conversations like maybe I'll take a summer school class. And it'll get me ahead. But then we measure it and we go, well, I actually kind of like having summer and a break. And we make a decision. Is the reward getting ahead worth the sacrifice, losing the time right now? We make these all the time. How about this? I can make a healthy meal or I can order a pizza. Not that all pizza is not healthy. You just eventually become the shape of what you eat. Just saying, <laughs> right? But we make these kind of value judgments all the time. So we've been talking about Luke and, and beginning in Luke chapter nine, Jesus makes this pivot. He's no longer just ministering from town to town. He's actually in a direction as he's ministering. He's headed towards Jerusalem. He's headed towards the cross. He begins having conversations about where this whole thing is going. He's moving with an entourage. There's no less than about 80 to 100 people that are with him at all times, counting the disciples, 
the 70 and some of the uh, other people who have been with him, they're moving from town to town. Sometimes the crowd swells and some miracles happen and they're with him. And he's constantly kind of talking back to the crowd. Do you understand where this is going? And, and they're not really paying attention. And he has some harsh words for them like we talked about last week. And he says, don't you know that if you're salt, but you're not salty, I don't even know what to do with you. Like you have to have purpose. You have to get on page. You have to be willing uh, to move towards me. He's having these conversations with them. And, uh, and he's interacting with different people who are saying, I'm I'm going to follow you. And he says, but first, let me go do this. And we had this whole conversation about, come on now, how you can't follow Jesus, but first, it doesn't work. You can't say, I'm going to follow you, but first, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow you, but first, I'm going to do this. And we've had this conversation about these people who interacted with Jesus, but when they had the opportunity to make the decision to follow him, they said it wasn't worth it. And so today I'm in Luke chapter, uh, what am I at, 18. And we're, we're just on the outskirts of Jerusalem now. By the end of Luke chapter 19, it's going to be awesome, right? He's going to ride in. They're going to be waving palm branches, singing Hosanna to the king. They're still not going to have the picture. Some of the people who are in the crowd with him right now, this is crazy, are going to be in the crowd shouting Hosanna in one week. And in two weeks, they're going to be in the crowd shouting, crucify him. This is the mixed crowd that he has with him. These are the people who have been following him. Some who are fans and some who are followers, and he's having conversations with them on the road and interactions on the road about, do you know where this thing's going? Do you know what it's really like to follow me? And he has this interaction in Luke chapter 18, um, beginning at verse 18, with a person who is all the things that culture tells us we need to be successful. He hits the trifecta of success. He is rich, he is young, and he's a ruler. That means he's got cash, he's got his youth, and he's got influence and power. All the things that culture, come on now, all the things that culture says, this is who we want to put on a pedestal. This is who you want to follow on Instagram. This is who we're going to interview every time a big uh, decision gets made in the world. Let's find out what this celebrity has to say about it, right? <laughs> like, I have no idea how that happened to us. We started asking, I don't know, asking people that don't have influence what they think about things that are important. Why? Because they're rich. Because they're young. Because they're in charge of things, even if they're not related. So this certain man, this rich, this young, this ruler, walks up to Jesus. He's, he's on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He's just about to Jericho, and then it's Jerusalem. He's, he's got a crowd of people with him. They've elevated him to this position of celebrity. And he walks in, and you can imagine him saying, oh, I'm also important. Let me go talk to the fellow celebrity. I got cash. I can make it rain, right? I deserve an audience with whoever the important person is that's coming close to me. And he walks up to Jesus and he has a conversation with him that I think is one of the most important conversations in the entire scriptures. He walks up to him and it says in verse 18, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now listen, some people walk up to Jesus and they have the wrong question. Who should we pay taxes to? Like, that's like, come on. This is the right question. If you get a one-on-one -on -one with the savior of the world, with the creator, with God, hey, hey, what's on the list to go to heaven is a great question to ask. This is not a bad question. He gets points for asking the right question. He's a sharp kid. He's checking boxes. And the reality is we all want to check boxes. 
in some level, we all want to say, what, how do I just make sure I'm on the end? Like, whatever, where's the line, Jesus? I want to be on at least somewhere on this side of the line and be in. And Jesus has this amazing interaction with him. Verse 19, he goes, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Let's talk about this for a moment. He goes to Jesus and he goes, what must I do? That's an interesting question to ask Jesus. It's a good one. But what must I do is an interesting question. And here's why it's an interesting question. He's taking the responsibility of his salvation into his hands. He's saying, what do I have to do? Not what do I need. He's not putting himself in a position of need. He's putting him in a position of action. He's saying, what do I personally have to do to get into heaven? And we still ask this question today. We have this conversation today, sometimes internally, sometimes externally, but we have this conversation. Now, he comes from a pretty good background. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler, he's a teacher, a follower of the law. He's a, he's, he's a good guy. He has influence, wealth, and credibility. He's probably the kind of guy that would say, you know, I'm not perfect, but comparatively, I'm doing pretty good. Right? Comparatively, I'm doing pretty good. A couple of things you got to note. He does walk up to Jesus and say, good teacher. So you got to say, okay, what is his view of Jesus? He doesn't say teacher. He says, good teacher. He doesn't say my teacher. He doesn't say Messiah. He doesn't say Lord. He says, good teacher. And you know a lot of people who have the opinion of Jesus that he's a good teacher. You know, a lot of people who would say, yeah, I'm not really one of those religious people, but I like the Jesus teaching. The stuff that I know is pretty good. He's a good teacher. We know a lot of people who start conversations about heaven and hell with good teacher. Yeah, what do you think about Jesus? He's a pretty good teacher. I'm okay with that. The problem is we run into this continuum of what is good and Jesus nails it with the best response. Why do you call me good? What's your metric of good? I realized something, you know, I've had a lot of conversations uh, over the years, especially with teenagers about what do you believe about Jesus and, 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 and what do you think happens when you die? And there's nothing like asking someone young about him because the older you get, the more you think about it a little bit, right? You start forming some opinions, you start making some decisions. There's something about having a conversation with someone who's young, like, what do you think happens when you die? You're like, who cares? That's forever. But this guy's young. And he's having a conversation. He's like, I just want to make sure I'm checking the boxes. And can we just have a conversation about, about this tension that we have with this belief that good is really the criteria for getting into heaven? And it makes sense. I mean, even if you read the Bible, just kind of a cursory look through the Bible, we think, okay, God is good. Jesus was good. The disciples are clearly the good guys in the story. So goodness must be part of the prereqs to get into heaven, to be on team God. And so because we recognize just out in the world that there's a difference somewhere between who's good and who's bad and good people should have good things happen to them and bad people should have bad things happen to them, it makes sense to us logically that God must function that way. That God must also have some kind of a sliding scale of good. Now here's where the tension comes in. Because how good is good enough? What's a passing grade? Does God grade on a curve? And we recognize no matter who we are, we have some kind of scale of good, right? 
Over here is like super crazy good. This is like your sweet old grandmother who prays for you and just, the, you know, you're just like, she's as good as it gets. It's like the Mother Teresa side of things. Like over here is good, right? And you know, over here is like, I don't know, whatever the current thing we hate the most is. Usually it's Nazis or something like that, right? Like there's something way over here on this end and it's like whatever the current thing is that's on the farthest end of the spectrum, you know, that like somewhere over there. And then everyone's on this continuum of goodness, right? And you feel like, well, I'm probably like, no one looks in the mirror and goes, well, I'm over here at like the, you know, I'm like a D minus on the scale. Most of us look and we're probably like, oh, I'm C plus B, you know, I'm working towards it somewhere around there. We have some kind of a scale of how we evaluate good. And since we have that, we think, well, God must have some kind of grading system. Yet I get into this book and I'm looking for the scale. And I'm looking for how good, and it's kind of like this, like, like you, know, you know, God's probably a tough grader because he's fair, but he's also got a lot of mercy. So some of you who are like on the fairness end, you're like, yeah, 75 is probably a fail, but 81 probably is a pass and you're getting into heaven. And then some of you are like on the mercy side and you're like, nah, God's merciful, man. Like 15% and you're, you're getting a passing grade with God. You just gotta eke by. Like if you're just not in the pit of the worst of the worst, right? Then, and, and, but we really don't know. And this is why it's fun when you have conversations with people and you're like, yeah, I, I like Jesus, but I just can't handle this Jesus is the only way to heaven thing. And I'm, I wanna say, you know what? At least I have some scale, some metric, because, because your metric is there's some invisible line of good. And as long, so what is it? Is it 51%, right? Is 51% the metric? Like I'm just 1% more good than not good. So I made the cut by the skin of my teeth. Like what is your metric for good? And you get into the scriptures and there's no metric for how good is good enough. And so Jesus squashes this entire line of thinking. And we've been thinking the same way for thousands of years that at some point there must be a good enough line. And I just wanna make sure I'm over the good enough line so that even though, and some of you, even by your own scale are pretty defeated because you're looking at how many years you have left to try to be good versus how many years, come on now, you were running reckless. And you're like, man, to get to 51%, I gotta live 72 more years right? You're like, I better start working out. I got to start getting in shape. I better start eating differently because I got to get to the 51%. And Jesus is like, what is your metric that you're using here? Why are you calling me good? Let's recognize there's one scale in the kingdom of God for good and it's God. And you're not on that level. So stop trying to work your way 2% up the line. Like somehow that's going to get you into his good gracious. Good graces, not good graciousness. Northern California education people, help me. <laughs> Your good graces. I got some benefits, like I'm a Niner fan, and some negative things, like I don't have good grammar. <sighs> I just want to feel that in the room for a second. Okay. <laughs> right? And so this guy walks up to Jesus, and he's like, how do I get over the line? What are the steps and the things I want to do? And Jesus is like, why are you making an imaginary line that you have to run past? The quality of good is God. Short of that is not good. So welcome to the line. Tense. Some of you are like, man, I should have gone on vacation. <laughs> Verse 20. Jesus goes on and goes, you know the commandments. This guy's studied. And then he jumps into the middle of the commandments. I don't know, he picks a few of them. 
He's like, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother. He just jumps into the middle of the commandments and rattles a few off. I think he's very strategic why he does that. He just jumps right into the middle. He's like, you've, been, you've, read, you've read the things that, that God has spoken that are, are, are criteria for living in community down here and representing God. You know those things. I think he's pushing on this for a reason. Because verse 21, the guy says, yeah, I've kept all those since I was a little boy. He's still young. He's like, he's like, <laughs> this is a bad example because it's mean, but it's just true. It's like when you watch a, a, a singing show and, uh, and the, there's a kid up there singing and they're just a baby. They're really good or whatever. And like, they're like 14 or 15. And they're like, well, how long have you been singing? They're like, since I was, you know, six. And it's like, okay, but you're still like six. So you really, <laughs> you know, like I don't see any distinction between your six and 15 right now. Like you're still just a kid and that's cool. And I'm not knocking you, but that's kind of his answer. He's like, I've just been doing this my whole, I've been awesome as far back as I can remember. He's like, nailed it. Fist bump Jesus. Why does he do this? Why does Jesus kind of set him up this way? I think he rattles off some of these uh, particular commandments because they're all behavioral. None of these ones really have heart issues. They're just behavioral issues. And he rattles off some behavioral commandments like don't lie, don't steal, don't have an affair, don't kill people, don't disrespect your mom and dad. These are behavioral things that he rattles off. And, and I think he does this because I, I want us to catch something. You can have the right behaviors and the wrong heart. You can have the right behaviors, but a wicked, horrible, awful heart, a dead heart. And we see this, we've seen, we've seen marriages where they keep their date night, but they hate each other, right? They go out every Friday and they stare across the table at someone that they feel dead inside looking at them. But the behaviors are happening, right? They're going through the motions. And I think Jesus recognizes you can go through the motions and be dead to the heart of what's going on. And so he rattles off some of these commandments because he's like, your behaviors aren't getting it done. And I think he purposely omits the first and second commandment. The first and second commandment one God, no idols. One God, no idols. First and second commandments in a nutshell, right? Why? Because those are things about serving and heart condition. Who's first? Who's competing for that spot? He doesn't have that conversation off the bat. He just throws off some behavior modification uh, things. And here's the thing. If you get the first two commandments right, you're going to nail the next eight. If God's first and nothing else is allowed to compete for that spot, you're going to nail the next eight. It says, outwardly, you've kept these commandments, but do you have the spirit of them? Verse 22 says, when Jesus heard this. So the boy's, the young guy, he's like, dude, I've been crushing this since I was a boy. Jesus hears that and he's like, what? And look at, he says, okay, let's try this on. You still lack one thing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Now, this has been an abused scripture, a misunderstood scripture, a confused scripture. Is Jesus saying you can't have nice things? No. Is he saying don't amass any wealth and just give everything to the poor? No. He's saying this person who has behaved his way to a place where he's justified himself in his head has not submitted his heart 
to God. And there's some idols in his life. Some things that have become more important to him than his relationship with his heavenly father. And so he reads his mail. He goes, you have power, position, youth, wealth, and those are the most important things to you. And because those are the most important things to you, I want to just ask you a question. Would you give all that up to come follow me? Rich young ruler, verse 23 says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. It's interesting, I'm torn between how much we should talk about money this week because he is a rich young ruler and God does call out this particular idol in his life. And I think that we oftentimes, um, in church we've pivoted in the last like 10 to 15 years. We used to talk about money too much and now we don't talk about money like enough. And the scripture talks about money a lot because money and heart are often connected and money is an idol that we are very naturally positioning ourselves to worship. And sometimes it's inadvertent. Um, it, sli it slips in. It doesn't, uh, it creeps in. It doesn't come in, you know, uh, uh, strong. It comes in incrementally. And, uh, and we find ourselves constantly in a state of worry pressure. I, if I were to say a show of hands of who's worried about money this month, I bet most hands would go up. Uh, and <laughs> If I were to say, honestly, um, who spent more time in prayer than they've spent worrying about money this month, um, people would divert their eyes. I'm just saying. Why? Because it's this thing that creeps up and creeps into us, this love of money and this, this fear of where things happen. And so Jesus reads this guy's mail, just like this guy read our mail when he walked up to Jesus and said, how do we do it. How do we walk with you? How do we make sure that we're over the line? We're in the 51%. He read our mail. Jesus reads his mail and says, oh, you think this is about behaving and I think this is about your heart. And you know what's battling for your heart? Idols. You want to know what your idol is right now? What thing, if you lost it, would wreck your life? The fear and the risk of losing it would absolutely derail your walk with Jesus. Which thing? Because that's the thing. Which thing where if Jesus said, that's the thing it's going to cost to follow me, you'd say that price is too high. Because that's what he does. And I would wager, which I shouldn't have used that word because we're talking about money, <laughs> that for many of us, that financial piece is in there. So we got to talk about money for just a couple of minutes, okay? Just a couple of minutes. Because I went online to get some current stats. And the current stats are important. This is from nonprofitsource.com. It's not me. I'm not making this up. These are just some current stats. I want to hit them from you, for you. Christians, those are people who profess to follow Jesus, are giving right now at 2.5% of their income. The average Christian who gives, gives 2.5%. During the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. That means in this moment in history, followers of Jesus who are professing givers are giving a lower percentage than during the Great Depression. Just saying. Only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to their local church give regularly. What's that? I give regularly. They give once in a while, but they don't give regularly. Only 17% of all Americans say that they regularly give. This is a staggering one. For families that make over 75K, combined families, only 1% of them report that they give 
followers of Jesus who make over 75K. Why is that important? Because we think the problem with our giving is we don't make enough yet. And if we just get up to the higher level of earning, then we'll have a higher percentage of giving. We do, we tell ourselves that lie because it feels good to tell ourselves that lie. It massages our, con our conscience. But statistically, it is absolutely a lie. Like it just is. The higher up you earn, the less you give. While at the same time, three out of four people who don't go to church are making donations to nonprofit organizations. So folks that are not followers of Jesus are giving. 75% of them give something. Followers of Jesus, 17%. Just, these are the numbers. I'm giving you the numbers. The average adult that attends a U.S. Protestant church gives about $17 a week. 37% um, of regular church attendees at evan at, uh, and evangel evangelicals, my goodness, Antioch education again, don't give any money anywhere. 7% of churchgoers have dropped their regular giving in the past year by more than 20%. So that's just the state of the union. That's not an attack on our church, on our life. That's just the statistical facts of where, we at, where we're at. So I don't want to have a whole message about giving today. I just want to talk about hearts and idols. And Jesus reads this guy's mail. And as a nation, our mail gets read when we read this and says, we have an idol problem. We don't trust God with our resources. We trust our resources. And if there's anything left over, then we'll see what God needs. Just based on the math. I didn't make it up. I'm gonna give you a couple of quick, quick key points that the Bible makes about money and then we're gonna land the, the plane because I wanna get farther than that. But I'm gonna give you some free stuff. Just some key points the Bible makes about money. First one, don't be enslaved. Don't be enslaved. The rich, uh, Proverbs 22, seven says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Don't be enslaved. So many of us don't give because we are tied up in debt. And the scripture says, that's not how to do it. Some of you are like, I don't know how to get out. Well, in January, we're going we're gonna to have, I think, our next, uh, uh, please tell me what it's called again, Financial Peace University. We want to talk with you about getting on a path to getting out uh, of that. Why? Because we just want you to be free. We just want you to be free. Um, so don't be enslaved. Second, don't love it. Don't love it, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money is evil, just the love of it. Don't let it have that first place. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The, the third, I want you to catch this. This is going to be in the DNA. Discover Church, guys, I want you to understand this. Generosity is just normal. It's normal for the followers of Jesus to be generous. It's normal with our time, with our resources. Freely we've given, freely we received. So freely give is what the scripture tells us to do, right? God was generous, demonstrated his generosity, sending his son for us. We should be generous. Generosity is normal. The last thing I want you to catch, and then we'll get away from this uh, uncomfortable space, is that giving is a heart issue, not a resource issue. I'm going to skip the scriptures that are here because of time, but, but Jesus watches a woman throw two pennies into an offering bucket, and it stops him in his tracks, and he looks up, and he sees what she did, and she says she gave more than everybody else because she gave what she had to live on. And he's like, whoa. It's a heart issue, not a dollars issue, guys. It's a, I trust you, God. You have the first place, and I don't want this thing to have my heart. 
Often, and I said this early, you don't know you have an idol till you face the prospect of losing it. And so Jesus talks to this rich young ruler and he's like, you don't even know you have an idol. Let me clarify for you. You think you're doing really well. I'm just gonna clarify for you. There's something else that's more important in your heart and your life than following me. Jesus says, get rid of your idol. You go, wait, I don't have an idol, Pastor Mike. Okay. What thing if you lost right now? You'd say, I'm out, Jesus. That's as far as I can go, because that's it. And then Jesus cracks wise, which is hilarious. I love that Jesus has a sense of humor. Verse 24 in Luke 18, he goes, Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And he makes kind of a joke here. He goes, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I, I thought about teaching this and, and I just don't have time to teach it, but some of you have heard, oh, the eye of the needle, that was like a gate in, the, in Jerusalem that was low and, the, and the, you know, the, the camel had to get down low and it was possible, but it was really difficult. And, uh, and that's a cool teaching. I just can't find it in the scriptures anywhere or in history. And so I don't know when it popped up, but I can't find it. I know the word he uses is a literal sewing needle. And so I think he's got personality and he's just making a joke saying it's really hard when you have a lot of resource to not love your resource more than you love God. It's really hard when you have an abundance of something to go, that's, you know, and again, the statistics show that that's true. Folks that have less give more because it doesn't have control of their life. And they're just like, I'm dependent on Jesus anyways. So this is okay. And then the more and higher it climbs, the harder it gets. So he's telling the truth, even though he's using some humor and he's using some illustrative language. And those who heard it asked, um, Jesus, who then can be saved? And he replied, oh, this is so good. What's impossible with man is possible with God. He says, I know that it sounds hard right now. But I just want you to know you're not on your own. Just like it's impossible to be good on your own, to be good enough. It's impossible to figure out what the math is. It's all possible if you put your trust and hope in God. That's how it becomes possible. That's how this whole thing works. I want you to recalibrate your brains from I have to be good enough to I have to trust God. I want you to recalibrate your expectations from a scale of fairness to a scale of faith and following Jesus. I want you to recalibrate, Jesus says, that you have to somehow pull this off on your own to that it is possible for you to trust God and move with him and towards him. Never forget that Jesus isn't limited to what we think is possible. And then Peter, let's close it up here. Peter, Peter, who I love because he always says the obvious or the dumb thing, and it just makes me happy because that's what I'm thinking. He says the thing he's thinking, and he goes, he goes, verse 8, 28, Peter said to him, hey, we've left all we had to follow you. Like it dawns on him. He's like, hey. We're, we're doing the thing you said to do. We left it all to follow you. And then Jesus explains the reward. And, and, and I got to land here because this was the point of the message. So we got here. I'm really excited. He says, truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive, listen to this, many times as much when? In this age and in the age to come eternal life. 
He says, no one who gives up their idols here aren't going to receive something better here and in the age to come. Now, this is another one of those scriptures that people twist and they're like, I gave a dollar in the offering and I didn't get $100 the next week out of the sky, so that doesn't work. Don't twist the scriptures. He's making a very clear point, two points here. He's saying, listen, you're trying to run your finances without me and it's become an idol for your life and it's going to take you on a path away from me. It is a hundred times better to put me first and then manage your finances that way. You wanna have a great marriage? Don't make your marriage an idol. Don't put your marriage first in your life. You'll mess it up. You'll poison it. He says, put me first in your marriage. It's a hundred times better. You want to try to raise your kids and, and, and make sure that, you know, they win every award and get on every team. And, and uh, you know, I mean, <sighs> to be careful, but I'm just going to say it. This is my youth pastor, 15 years of tension coming out of me, right? I have seen so Many of us, I'm on this side now. I have a youth group age kid, so I'm pointing at me. So many of us, moms and dads, put our kids' other accomplishments at such a high value over their relationship with Jesus. Making sure they make the team, making sure they get the grade, making sure they get to do all of the things. And it's good intentions that became idol worship. And we've pre-trained their young brains to worship idols by saying that God does not have to be first if there's anything left over. So last week, I got a little boy that plays baseball and I'm celebrating his baseball wins and I'm celebrating when he does good in school and I'm celebrating all of his wins. But you know what I'm really celebrating? That he takes his faith public without his dad twisting his arm or expecting something out of him, that he makes a decision, that he wants to follow Jesus and he wants the whole world to know about it. That's a hundred times better. It's a hundred times better. And Jesus says, listen, in this age, it's better to not let those other things control and rule your life. It's better. And... In the age to come, it's going to be so much better. This rich young ruler, well, it goes away sad. He goes away sad, and I just want to be honest with you. All the things that were important to him died when he died. His wealth, his influence. The youth went away relatively quickly, I'm assuming. All the things that were, that were more valuable than following Jesus. And we don't know if later on he came around. We just know at this point he went away sad. And I'm just telling you, if he didn't later on come around and lay those things down at the foot of Jesus for what he did, then he is still sad and bankrupt today. And all of those other treasures weren't worth it. They just weren't. All that idol worship wasn't worth it. Now... Because of time, I'm not going to just dive off this next cliff I wanted to dive off, but I got to just say it out loud so you hear it, so it's set up for another time when I'll talk about it. But I also want you to understand that Jesus recognized that the family of God that we're a part of 
brings so much value to our lives that laying any of these other things down. When he says you give up mother, father, brother, sister, he looked at his biological mother and his brothers who were telling him he's crazy. And then he looked at his family of God and said, look at all the brothers and sisters and family that I got. And as a guy who's father wasn't around. I have had some spiritual fathers. I have a hundred times more father than I would have gotten any other way because of men who loved Jesus, who invested in me. And that's what the church does. We bring value and we bring, this is why it's important that you're part of a family of God and that you go deep and that we do life together because we bring that resource in. And I, and I mean, it's not Father's Day, so I won't go on a Father's Day message, but I just, it's my story that I, we have to father with each other and we have to mother with each other and we have to raise our kids and we have to do life together. And, and we need that value. That's part of what happens in the kingdom of God. And we need our resources pulled together so we can do more than we could do apart. We, like, that's how this math makes sense. And he's not just not just you know making an illustration it's actual math it's how it works so would you stand with me i'm going to pray so i can let you go because it's a weekend but i'm just it's a holiday i mean it's always a weekend when we do this thing but i just i i need friends family i just need you to know how important you are to what god's doing in somebody else's life in here your strength, your reason. You're like, I don't have anything. No, you have Jesus. You have relationship with him and with us, and you bring value. We need you. It's how it was supposed to work. It's how we get to 100 times stronger. And there's some of us in the room who are desperate for what you bring. You don't even realize it. We have 60 spots in kids if we go to two services. Do you know the impact that you have in kids? I mean, just the genuine impact. My kids are up there. Your kids are up there. It matters. I just, I want to, I don't want to leave this moment because I think we're challenged. And I hope the word of God has, has challenged us without having this short just conversation. And I know I'm pushing us and I apologize, but I just got to have an honest moment with you guys because I think for some of us in the room, we feel the tension of this. And maybe you've been coming for a while and just the conversation that the rich young ruler has about how good is good enough, that, that has just rocked your world this morning. And you may have to have an, an honest conversation that you've had the wrong grading system as you've been trying to figure out how to do this thing. You thought good enough was I made it to two out of three church services and I gave a little bit or I signed up for it. Like and, and none of that, all of that's part of being in the life, but, but that's all the benefit of having God first, not the, not the way to get him first, right? And, and for some of us in the room, I just wanna have a really honest moment. You haven't really tried it the way Jesus has described here, saying, all right, I'm gonna actually put you first. I'm gonna take all of the other things that have been competing for the number one spot and I'm gonna step out of faith and I'm gonna put you first. In just a moment, I'm gonna give you a chance to make that step. And then for some of you, us in the room, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but when I started talking about this idol thing, maybe it was money for you. Maybe it's your family. I'm not sure. Maybe it's your, your house or your job or your position, a school, a grade. I don't know what it is, but, but the Holy Spirit... Through, through the word of God has challenged your heart that there are some things right now that are just more important. 
And you've been afraid that God's going to somehow uh, uh, shortchange your life if you trust him and do it the way he's called you to do it. And you had to hear the word of God to know that that wasn't his plan. His plan was always to give you more. And if you're honest, you haven't managed it great anyways, whatever the thing is, right? It's just like a wing and a prayer right now. And it's like, well, let's just make it a prayer. And so I'm going to pray for two groups. And now listen, I I explain this all the time, but I just want you to understand um, it's not any more spiritual to close your eyes. The scriptures never say, then they close their eyes and prayed. It's just helpful to not be distracted and looking around. And so I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable closing your eyes. And I want to talk to those two groups. If you're in that first group and you'd say, you know what? I've been thinking incorrectly about how this whole thing works. I've been thinking I've been trying to just be on the good scale enough. And I recognize, just like Jesus said, that only God is good. And all my effort isn't going to earn my way to uh, whatever the grade is. I'm going to have to really trust Jesus. I don't even know all the way what that looks like, but today I'm going to take a step. And the Bible says that we repent. So basically we just say, I'm not going to do it this way. I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to change. And I'm sorry for trying to do it on my own. I'm going to try to do it this way. And I don't even know all of the steps of what that means. I'm so glad you're in the room today because in the next couple of weeks, you're going to have chances to sign up for Rooted and get your questions answered and to, to move into community and to start figuring out what that means. But today, and it'd be great if today was your day because the holiday weekend, and it'd be easy to remember the anniversary of the day when you made that decision that I was going to try and do it a different way because I've been doing it my way and it's not working. And so with eyes closed in the room to just give us a moment of just genuine authenticity before the Lord. If that's you and you'd say, yeah, I I, I need to make a decision today to trust Jesus first. Would you just lift a hand so that I can see that? Okay. Wow, you can put those hands down. That was... Just so if you're in here and you're praying, you want to know that was 13 hands that went up. And that's an amazing moment. The scripture says all of heaven starts rejoicing when you make that decision to start trusting in Jesus. And it doesn't say that there's some kind of magic prayer, but we're going to pray together um, because uh, we want to confess with our mouths what God's doing in our hearts. But if you're in the room, I want to give you an opportunity to respond, and you're in group number two. And this isn't an I don't know Jesus moment. This is just a I've been serving things that aren't Jesus first. And I need to recognize, you know, we're getting back, you know, the summer's over. I've been playing and doing my thing, and my other priorities have been all over the place. I've been busy and crazy, and I just need to make sure that I recalibrate the first things in first. And I haven't been doing that. I want to be honest and, and, and make a decision to say I repent from that. I'm going the new direction. I'm going to make room for Jesus first. I'm going to trust that he's going to give me more in this life and the life to come because he loves me and he's good and he wants that for me. But I've been doing it the wrong way. I need to flip that and get that the right way. If that's you, would you lift a hand? And no, nobody's looking around. You could just be honest. Yeah. All over this place. put your hands down. That was about 22 hands, guys. I just want you to recognize God's doing something in this family, in this community, in this moment. There's going to be stories that change because of this. There's going to be lives and directions and destinies that change because of this. And don't tell anyone, uh, don't let anyone tell you it's not important to be 
come on now, with the family on a Sunday. Ah, it's a holiday, it's no big deal because we're talking about people making decisions right now that are gonna impact not just their eternity, but come on now, the eternity of their family, of their friends, of their circle. There's gonna be conversations that you have in passing now that are gonna have implications that are eternal because of the decisions you're making right now. And so I don't want to have, this isn't just an emotional, I'm not trying to charge you up emotionally, I'm trying to challenge you in your core that something has to be different now. That's crazy. That's crazy and that's awesome. So Jesus, first off, just bless our kids' workers upstairs and give them mercy, (laughs) return their time. And thank you for this moment in this place in your house. Thank you for the hands that got it ready for today. Thank you for the hands that have served to make it happen for so many in the family. Not even thinking, I I just made coffee today. You made coffee and 13 people came to Jesus. I just passed out a bulletin. You passed out a bulletin and 13 people made a decision for Jesus. I just held babies. You held babies. Come on now. And 13 people made a decision for Jesus. You were part and thank you for the effort and the energy and the partnership of making that happen. And then thank you for those taking a step today who would say, today's my day. It's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna remember the holiday, 2018. Every time the fair comes to town, I'm gonna celebrate a little extra. I deserve an elephant ear. It's the anniversary of trusting you with everything. Trusting you with my finances, trusting you with my family, trusting you with my identity, trusting you with everything because it's better. And so, God, we step out in faith. We don't have it all figured out. Some of us are going to need to sign up for Rooted. We don't even know what Rooted is yet. We just hear pastor and everybody talking about it. We're going to need to do it. It's just our our small group that answers your first questions and it's going to launch the end of the month. Some of us need to just get into community. Some of us need to step out in faith and be willing to open our house. We don't even know how to lead a small group. I'll make it easy for you. I'll give you the questions. You just open your house and you love somebody. And some of us need to just recalibrate and put you in the first place. We need to take a hard look at our schedule, our energy, our resources, and say, God, you have to be in the first place. It doesn't fit anyways without you in there. So we want to trust you. We love you. And we thank you in the holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen.